Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Thanks, Annie. Thanks, um, Philip and Elmery, for leading us in the, just the beautiful presence of the Lord. Man, wish we could just uh, stay in the Lord's presence. Well, praise God, we are still in His presence, eh? Praise the Lord. His presence uh, doesn't stop when we stop singing. But I know you all know what I mean, eh? We can just uh, linger just a little bit longer in worship. Uh, so really, I want to encourage you that we will, uh, these next few few sessions, hours that we have together, that we will stay in the attitude of worship, uh, even, you know, doing something practical or uh, teaching or just receiving information. It can just be that. It can just be teaching or it can be worship unto the Lord. And uh, so as we, as we go into the rest of this morning, let's continue to have a, uh, an attitude and a, a heart inclination of worship towards, towards God. I'm so thankful for the, the song choice. I'm thankful for the words that came this morning. And um, yeah, I also just really felt that God is saying to us that we are, you know, first and foremost, we are here as, uh, as worshipers before we are here as leaders. And, uh, and it's our, our identity as worshipers with God that defines us. And uh, so let's remember that as we, as we go into this morning, um, really embrace that word about the Lord's cup. Uh, just as we were praying this morning, intercession, Psalm 23, just came to my heart where, where God promises us that He has prepared this table for us in the presence of our enemies, and, and God has prepared a table for us this morning. Uh, he has, uh, I would say, a, a five-course meal set out for, for each one of us, and that's exactly what you need, whether you're panting or gluten-free or vegetarian or just eat meat or, I don't know, such a big range of diets available nowadays. Um, but Jesus knows them all. He knows exactly what we need. And He has prepared something very special for each one of us. You know, and each one of us, we're going to walk away with something different this morning. But um, uh, I know your heart is also to, to receive from Jesus and not so much to receive from, from, uh, from a man. But it is a great, great privilege to, to be here this morning. It's a beautiful venue. Uh, hallelujah. God is so good to us and that He's given us this, this venue to use. And it's a big blessing to be here. It's a, a tremendous blessing to have my beautiful wife, Nikki, here with me as well. Uh, just being here with me this, uh, this weekend, it's uh, uh, an honor to be able to just do church together, to be able to serve our church family uh, together as well, and to, to really just uh, trust God to have His way in our, in our lives. You know, um, coming back here, yesterday we landed, what is today, Saturday, we landed on Thursday, and just being here in Johannesburg, it just brought back so many memories for us, and it's amazing to see uh, familiar faces in this, in this room. I actually bumped into Liani at the, at the back, and I was like, literally 10 years ago, last time. Yes, I've got to check. You know, the, the masks make it a little bit difficult to, to recognize those eyes. You know, some of you I've, I've seen 10 years ago, some seven years ago, some a couple of months ago, and uh, some I haven't seen before. So it is... Uh, a great privilege to meet new faces as well, um, new people to see what the Lord is doing here in our midst, to see the, the life that He's bringing. Uh, some of you guys came through from Pretoria. I know Yuri, 
Pretoria, who's Brahm? Yes, they're from Pretoria, ne? Yeah, it's the Pretoria. Pretorianers, where the Pretoria? Ah, Weynard, Nialga. Where all the Pretoria folk in the, in the, hey, lekker, great stuff. The Tambazimbi folks, how many of us are from Tambazimbi? There, the mother's room. Awesome, guys. Thank you for traveling through all the, all the way, man. And then, of course, the, the local peeps, all right, making this place lekker. It's, uh, it's good to be, be in, your, in your presence and, um, let me, let me pray for us as we get into this morning. God, thank you so much, Lord, for your presence. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, that you brought us uh, together this morning for times such as this, Lord, and, and we are thankful and we are humbled uh, to be here this morning, God. Uh, we don't take these moments for granted. We thank you, Lord, that uh, these moments, Lord, have the potential to change our lives because we are with you, and we have gathered to, to, uh, to draw near to you, Lord, and so I pray that you will come, Lord, and fill our cups, Lord, this morning. Thank you, Lord, that uh, in your presence, Lord, our cups can overflow. And, Lord, that you come and just uh, empty our, our hearts, Lord, from the things that we want to um, block the life from flowing into us and through us, Lord, and that you, you clean out the vessels this morning, Lord, so that your life can flow through us. We bring your lives, Lord, as the cups, Lord, that we know that the, the thirsty around us need to drink from, Lord. And so we pray that you will come and fill us, Lord. Fill us this morning afresh, Lord. Fill us with your joy, with your peace. Fill us, Lord, with the, the passion and the vision, Lord, that we need to continue to build and labor in your kingdom, Lord. In Jesus' name, Father. Amen. When we, uh, we drove into the venue this morning, I saw the, the shofar banner just saying that uh, we want to reach nations and generations. Um, through disciple-making, leadership development, and, and church planting. And it's so amazing to be able to be in the presence of people who have been laboring for, for many years. I know some of you guys have been leaders for a while. Some of you may have stepped into new leadership positions, or some of you still want to be leaders or grow into that role. But, um, you know, just from my side as, um, as representative of the apostolic team, I want to say thank you so much. Thank you for, for building. Uh, thank you for being willing to put your, your hand to the, to the plow, thank you for uh, sacrificing of your time, you know, a morning like this, you guys could have done anything, I know surfing is not really an option here, but it would have been mountain biking, or gaming, or, you know, uh, sitting in a coffee shop drinking some lacquer coffee, or walking, or whatever it is you could have done this morning, just sleeping in, or reading a lacquer book, and uh, so we appreciate you guys, we appreciate the fact that that um, really you as leaders, you are the heartbeat and the heartthrob of us as a Shofar Church family. You know, you guys do uh, stuff without being asked, without being paid, and it's a tremendous privilege to be part of a church family where we don't have, uh, um, generally speaking, that 80-20 um, syndrome, you know, where 80% of the work is being done by 20% of the people. We have, we have people who love Jesus passionately, guys who understand that our callings are not dependent upon titles, and uh, it is a tremendous privilege to be part of a church family like this. And uh, I couldn't thank you guys enough, and that's why we, we're passionate about investing in your lives, we're passionate about spending time with you, because you really are the, um, you are the message. You, know, you as leaders, you are the guys who represent um, people on the ground, you're the guys that have to translate what you hear from the pulpit and the vision that the pastors share with you. You have to translate that. You have to, in a way, almost contextualize it, give it flesh and bone so that people around you on the ground, they can um, 
live that and find expression to that. What does it mean to reach nations and generations within the sound team, within the worship team, within the children's church team, within the marketplace ministry that you might be heading up? You guys have to wrestle with that. For us as pastors, it's often easy just to cast vision. It's sometimes easy just to share word. You guys, very often, you've got to go and wrestle with what does this mean for my team? What does this mean for my context? What does this mean for the school where you've placed me? What does this mean for the company where I'm working? And we are deeply thankful for the wrestling. Um, uh, I don't know whether you feel like a wrestler, um, but uh, that's what you are. You guys are... uh, um, Jonathan, he likes watching wrestling. And I told him the other day, look, it's just a big show, isn't it? You, you, you watch wrestling, and the guys have choreographed all those moves beforehand, and it's just like, you know, it's, it's a big show. I think there is a guy called Big Show as well. Might be. I don't know. <laughs> but this is real stuff, eh? This isn't just a big show. The, uh, the wrestling that takes place in the spirit, the wrestling that takes time, uh, takes place between your time, your energy, your creativity, balancing life and doing work and being at church, all of that, it's a very real wrestle that you guys have to, have to wrestle through. And I think many of you are here because you've wrestled through some things. You've settled some things in your heart concerning this is what God has called me to be. This is the amount of time that I have to give. And I'm committed to being a leader. I, I want to serve God's people in this way. Some of you might still be in the valley of decision whether you see yourself as a leader or you, you want to be a leader. And I want to encourage you just to continue to, to wrestle with that. It's probably a lifelong wrestling. Um, we're always in different phases of our lives wrestling with God around what does it mean to pick up our cross, isn't it? And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. And for many of you guys as leaders, that cross can be sacrifices in terms of time, sacrifices in terms of family time, uh, balancing work and church and, and all of that. And so I want to I thank you as wrestlers. Uh, being with us on this, on this journey. And, and as a church family, just before we get to some of the practicalities, I want to share with you briefly our, our wrestling journey that we have been on the last few years, sort of last four years or so. Um, I remember moments like this many, many years ago when I joined Shofar in, in, uh, in um, 1994. I joined Shofar in Stellenbosch as a student. And uh, we back then had what we called personal IDs, PIDs, those little numbers that you had on your cell weekly report. And I was PID 27 as we, uh, as we were a small group back then. Um, but, you know, the amazing thing was that we had meetings like this, leadership development meetings. And God was so faithful, and He never despises the day of small beginnings. You know, He doesn't want us to despise it either because here we are and we have leadership meetings like this all over the place uh, South African, Namibia, and Burundi, our brothers there in Malawi, in, in the Netherlands, in the UK, and, and the church has grown beautifully from those small steps that we first took many, many years ago. Next year, it'll be 30 years celebrating life as a church family, so we want to encourage you guys. We're going to go through it next year, celebrating 30 years of God's faithfulness in our lives, and we're going to send you the details. So this year, we're not going to have convergence. We're going to have convergence next year, so we on the one hand, just to give scope for, obviously, all the COVID things to, to, to calm down. And at the same time, just to come together around celebrating 30 years of God's, of God's faithfulness. Um, and so we've been tremendously blessed by, by God as we were able to uh, plant small groups and raise up leaders and send mission teams and do Bible school and do foundations. All of the stuff you guys have been, have been part of. And God was so good to us and he, he caused us to grow in a beautiful, beautiful way. 
Um, but somewhere down the line, we, we became aware of the fact that God was, was really uh, bringing about a bit of a shift away from just doing all of those things which were good things um, and getting us to focus a little bit on the eternal, or the internal rather. So instead of just focusing on what we were doing, to also start looking at how we were doing things and why we were doing things. Okay, that has been a journey that we have been on for the last four years where a lot of our discussions were around, okay, why do we do stuff? You know, instead of us just looking at skills and skills are important and just looking at techniques and techniques are important and just doing a lot of stuff that have fruit, let's look also at why we do those things and let's look at how we do those things. And so really the verse, and I don't have it on the PowerPoint right now, but the, the verse sort of that resonated in many of our hearts was Jesus' commands in Mark 12, verse, verse 28. If you have your Bible or your phone, you could maybe just flick there very quickly. Um, and we know the story, one of the scribes coming to Jesus and, and um, just challenging him or asking him, sort of, Jesus, if, if you, we were finding ourselves in the midst of Roman persecution, we're finding ourselves in the midst of a lot of tension between the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the Zealots. All of them have got different opinions about the Messiah and how deliverance to Israel would come. We have a lot of people saying a lot of stuff, what we have to do. We're in the midst of many people dying. Um, There's a lot of things happening. What is the most important thing? What is the thing we need to be focusing on? And, and for us as church family, we were in that phase as well. God, there's a lot of things happening we're realizing that we, we've, we've run at a pace where we were achieving a lot of success. There were a lot of NGOs that we started. There was a lot of momentum, a lot of energy. And yet we became aware of the fact that we were paying a very high price for all of that. Um, that we, as successful as we were, as, as amazing as the momentum was, there was a price that we were paying that we were maybe a little bit unaware of until we saw the fallout in, in marriages taking strain, in some cases falling apart, in friendships taking strain, friendships falling apart, people's health taking strain, people volunteering, and then all of a sudden not wanting to volunteer anymore because they burned out. And God was speaking to us about simplifying things. Um, getting back to what is the most important thing? Because there are, if you speak to any leader, leaders are leaders because they're passionate. Leaders are leaders because they believe there's a way to do things. They've experimented with stuff. They've read up on stuff. And all of us care deeply about God's church. And so there are a lot of opinions. There are a lot of books being written about church growth, about marketplace ministry, about spiritual warfare, all sorts of different things. And we needed to discern what is God saying to us what do we need to focus on? What is the thing that God wants us to have as a definitive value, as a definitive sort of uh, true north by which we will evaluate everything? And uh, Jesus actually made it quite simple for us um, when he answered the question, which commandment is the most important of all? See, what summarizes everything? What should be driving us? What should be the thing that really um, causes us to look at our lives and say, all right, this will be the measurement, this will be the standard? by which we measure our life. And Jesus answered, and he said, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And so really the, the thing that we began to just speak to one another about was keeping the main thing the main thing. 
and that is our passion for Jesus, our love for Him, and loving Him with everything that we have, every, every part of us, our souls, our minds, our energy, spiritually, to bring all of those things into obedience to God, into worshiping God, not just through song, not just through sermons, not just through the spiritual things, but through things that maybe don't feel as spiritual as well. Bringing everything that we have um, under the lordship and submission to Jesus. And to have that as the thing that defines us. And to basically say to each other, we want to measure our spiritual maturity. We want to measure our success as a church. We want to measure whether we are obedient to God by our love. That if that is what Jesus said, that this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing. Acknowledging that there is only one God and He is Lord over our lives. And then loving Him with everything that we have. And then loving each other as we love ourselves, that is the most important thing. And we began to realize as we were thinking about this and just talking to each other, and and this is a journey still, and it will be a lifelong journey, but we began to realize that it is easy to be busy with the skill aspect of things. It is easy to be busy with the outward things, and it's a normal human tendency. And it's easy to be so busy that we ignore, like Elmer shared with us this morning, the inner voice, the, the, the things that go on underneath the surface. Uh, we live in a mostly Western world, and the Western culture is spilled over into the, into the church as well, where we tend to evaluate people, we tend to evaluate ministries, uh, teams, based on how it looks on the outside, based upon either how the band performs, how people dress, uh, how eloquent they are, what they drive, uh, all of those things. Um, begin to just infiltrate the church as well. And, and I believe that God took us on a journey to say, I want none of that stuff in your midst. Uh, I, I want you to, to resist that. I want you to, 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 have, to be counter-cultural. I want you to have a different set of values where we don't esteem each other based upon performance. We don't esteem each other based upon how things just appear on the outside. And, and, and that is a process, that is something that we, that we are having to, to journey through. And, and just in terms of the process, uh, I want to share with you just this uh, sort of a, a graph or a presentation. Some of you guys in, in education might be aware of Bloom's taxonomy of, of learning, how we, how we learn things. And a lot of this material I'm getting from a book that I'm, I'm working through, <laughs> wrestling through. It's called The Emotionally healthy leader. It's a brilliant book. I want to recommend the book to you guys to get hold of that, to, to read that book. But he speaks about different ways in which we, we, we journey when we become aware of something that is important to us. And very often we would journey with people in our teams, even here in this room. We will talk about maybe, let's say, passion for worship. We will talk about being salt and light in the community. We will talk about stewardship. We will talk about values and things that are important. And sometimes we would say to someone, or we would evaluate people and say, but man, you don't, you don't value stewardship at all, or you don't value worship at all, or you don't value um, sound hermeneutics at all, or you don't value flowing the Spirit at all. But mostly what happens is that we, each one of us, we find ourselves on a spectrum um, of, of learning and a spectrum of wrestling with uh, values that God is showing to us. So if you start with the first one, very often when, when we start sharing things, there's an awareness that happens in our hearts. So for us, for instance, this whole um, journey that we've been on slowing down, um, 
uh, coming to a place of really beginning to look at the internals, we became aware of the fact that everything cannot just be judged by how things appear on the outside. We became aware of that. that we sort of had this, this um, we saw some signs of things really not being that, uh, everything that it should be. Right? So it was an awareness. We saw that, we began to think, okay, there, there's a reason why marriages are taking strain. There's a reason why people are burning out, and, and maybe we should slow down. Right? So it, it was an awareness, but it wasn't where we wanted to be actually owning it. Where we own something, it means that my whole life is geared around, is organized around, is based upon this value that is integral to my life. And as soon as I step out of that, I can feel it immediately. I can sense something is not, is not like that. You know, it's like in our, in, in, in our relationship with our spouses as well. When you have owned a value, you know immediately when something isn't right. And what we want to be aware of is that we're on this journey, right? Uh, starting off on this awareness, and then we begin to think, okay, so what does this, what does this mean? Let, let us read up on on slowing down. Let us read up on what does it mean to have uh, uh, love as a value. What does it mean to, to, to love each other? Practically, what does it mean? And so we began to read up. We had John Andrews that came in. He, he did a, a course with us on, on discipleship, and part of that course was about resting, um, being in a place where we actually have rest as a value, a core fundamental value in our lives. But that was still something that we did, something that we read up on, something that we listened to, and we began to experiment a little bit, little bit with it. That's where we began to say, okay, we want our leaders to uh, not be pushed too hard. We want our leaders to, to have balance. We want our pastors to uh, make sure they take their, 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 um, their times off and, and, and so forth. Right? And, and then you get to the value element. So you've, you've read up on something, and now you begin to say, but listen, this is important. Right? This, is, this is important. This, this should be part of our priorities. We should be thinking about how we're going to implement this. We should be thinking about how we want to see this uh, spread throughout our entire church family. And so we, we work this into our HR uh, policy document as well, where we say our pastors, after a certain amount of time, we want our elders and our pastors to talk to each other about creating space for our pastors to go on a sabbatical and to actually actually rest, right? And so it became part of our, our policy. And, and so it was beginning to move from the head to the heart, and slowly but surely it's beginning to infiltrate in how we, we live things. Um, but even on that, there's still a gap, what, what Bloom calls the action or the behavioral gap where you, you're aware of something, you read up on something, you're beginning to act on it, but there is a, a, a gap between consistently acting on what you know you should be acting on. I don't know if you guys can identify to this. It's like a little bit like Paul said, uh, the things that I want to do, I don't do. He's speaking about that gap. You are aware of this thing is important. You have read up, you've listened to teachings, you've been to all the classes, you've listened to the podcasts. Um, and you, you've written down the plan and all of that, but now there's this gap between what you know in your heart and what you should be acting out. And that's where the wrestle takes place. That's where the battle takes place. That's where many of us, um, often we get stuck in, and because that's such an uncertain place very often, because it impacts upon our existence when we start thinking about this value of slowing down, we start thinking about listening to our inner voice, we start thinking about how we treat each other, we tend to 
because things become uncomfortable, want to go back to the way things were. And then there's a lot of, uh, sometimes we experience a bit of pushback against that. Say, so, man, if, if I start doing this, uh, it's going to have implications upon my budget. It's going to have implications upon my relationship with my family. It's going to have implications upon my relationship with my colleagues. It's going to have implications on how much I, uh, what I eat, how much I sleep, all of those things. And it, it really boils down to counting the cost. Is this thing important and valuable enough for me to act on it? And then when I've, I've counted the cost, I start reprioritizing my life. I start saying, all right, so what I want to do is I want to have spiritual rest as my goal. What I want to do is I want to make sure that I, I can live in such a way that I can still do this five years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. In other words, I've reprioritized. And my life looks different now than what it looked two years ago. It's growth. I'm reprioritizing. And it finds reflection in my budget. It finds reflection in my energy. It finds reflection in everything that I do where we eventually end up with, I'm owning this. This is now something that is part of my life, and this is something that I can impart to others. This is something that I don't consciously just have to think about. This is now who I am. I'm living from a place of rest. I don't just have rest as a project or rest as something that I have to plan for, even though that is part of it. I'm living from this. And, and the prophetic picture the Lord shared with um, one of our congregation members down in, in Durbanville she shared this with me a couple of months ago, was she said that last year she felt the Lord showed her this picture of us as shofar. Many of you guys have been part of shofar for a while. You might remember in our small group training, um, in a lot of our leadership training, we had this, these two pictures of what we as a shofar church family feel the Lord has called us to do. On the one hand, you have the battleship, and on the other hand, you've got the passenger ship. Some of you guys remember that, that analogy, right? The battleship versus the, the cruise liner, the passenger ship. And what we felt the Lord say to us was that God has called us to be on this battleship. He's called us to battle stations, part of the shofar, blowing the shofar, is the fact that we have a spiritual awareness of what's going on around us. We have an awareness of the fact that God has called us to be prophetic. God has called us to live in such a way that the powers of darkness around us are being challenged to preach good news to the poor, to uh, um, preach healing and deliverance and, and all of those things in a practical level, and that he has called us to not just be spectators, to be this, this battleship where we take the gospel into communities, into schools, into education, into politics, into every sphere of life, this battleship that moves forward and takes the kingdom of God wherever we go, takes it to distant shores. And so we sang songs about the nations in distant shores and islands that will worship God. And we had this momentum to go, this battleship there that goes forward. Instead of this passenger cruise liner that everybody's just sipping whatever they sip on those things. Nick and myself, we went on the, uh, what's this, Symphonia many years ago. It was a wonderful experience to, to Maputo, three days. It was amazing, but, you know, I, I can do this for three days, but, you know, there's, there's a reason why you should not be doing this, like, forever. You know, and, and spiritually, it's the same. Part of Shofar's DNA is we don't believe in just passengers. We don't believe in just building a crowd. We believe in raising up disciples and, and leaders and, and people who put up their hands and say, but we are going to be part of the difference. You know, so that battleship was part and parcel of who we were. But then this picture that you saw was that God was saying, this battleship now needed to go through a, a phase of docking, 
coming into the harbor because God was wanting to work on the hull, on the outside. There were some icebergs which we hit. There were some things which we didn't see. We thought this is something small. It was actually something massive. And we thought we could just steamroll over it. If we just run fast enough, we just run hard enough, we sing loud enough, we prophesy, we spit loud enough, we shandai, shandai loud enough. You know, you do Bible school long enough. Just all those spiritual things will make those other things just disappear. And a couple of years down the line, you realize they don't just go away just because you're amazingly spiritual. They don't just go away just because, you know, you have all of this activity running. And God wanted us to come in and work on the hull, fix some things, fix some gaps. But He also wanted to come and not just work on the hull, which speaks about the structure, right? So we, we were then led by the Holy Spirit to change some things about our structure, to, to say we want to move away from a top-down structure where we had an HQ that directed everything and everybody just did what HQ said to where we want to create an environment where our local congregations can flourish, our local congregations can have a lot of ownership, our local congregations can have a lot of freedom to contextualize the message of the gospel. That it's impossible for someone who sits in, in Somerset of the West or Stellenbosch or wherever to tell you in Johannesburg how you need to contextualize what it means to reach this community. You live here. You love these people. You have counted the cost about what it means to live in Johannesburg and Pretoria. You know Johannesburg and Pretoria isn't one place. It's different to different cities. There are different cultures. There are different environments. Even though it's Gauteng, it's different. And you know that. And so we trust you to know how to, with your elders, with the leaders, how to contextualize that. And so we made a small shift, but a big one in terms of the heart. We changed the name from HQ to Support Center saying that we want the apostolic team, and our heart is not to direct everything, but to come alongside and to support uh, our leaders on the ground. Right? So there was a, a whole change that, we, that the Lord led us to, 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 to change a little bit. But then more than the whole, the outside, was God wanting to work on the hearts of the passengers, not the passengers, the crew members, now, to, to make sure that we have some heart circumcision being done, some stuff on the inside being done. And God has done that in a beautiful way. And now He's calling the ship back out onto the waters. He's calling the ship back out into unknown waters, deep waters, stormy waters, to take the gospel to where it needs to be. Um, But at the same time, He's wanting us to remember that how we treat each other on the ship, what's going on in our hearts, will ultimately determine how and when we get to our destination. And so what I'm going to continue to share with you guys this morning about is it's a little bit about that journey, about how do we, how do we continue to make sure that as we, as we move out now again into this new season that God has for us, that God has been speaking to us about, again, lay hold of the promises God gave you. Now, many of you guys have been so incredibly faithful. You've been serving God for so long. But some of us have buried promises that God gave us. Some of us have, have buried stuff that the Lord spoke to us about and God wants us to reawaken those things. Like he told us, I still have the nations on my heart for you. It's still your inheritance. Right? And so we went back and we looked at where did God speak to us about? Nations like Canada and Australia that God spoke to us about. But over the last few years, we've, we've sort of put that on the back burner. And as we made that shift in our hearts, I'm getting phone calls from Australia and from Canada. People who've moved there now and say, we feel, we don't know what it's going to mean and what it's going to look like, but we feel God wants us to be part of, of a church plant here. And we've been visiting other churches and we love other churches, but it's not so far. We feel there's a need. We haven't even spoken to them. It's just something in our hearts that we said, God, we feel you are calling us back to the nations again. 
for us to go. And then we hear about what's happening in Tabazimbi and what's happening in the, in the West Coast and all over. There are these new territories opening up. And that's God leading us to go, that battleship having to go out again. But we cannot afford to lose sight of the lessons that God has taught us as we go out. Because otherwise, we just default back again to becoming busy and to running again. It's like, you know, with lockdown. At the beginning of lockdown, all of us, we really, I think, embraced this opportunity, didn't we, to slow down. I mean, I think all of us felt it. Eh? This is from, in a way, this is terrible. It's, the, it's lockdown. There's things happening. But we also felt there's something of God in this. Slowing us down, it's less time on the road, there's a lot of less activities, having to drive like after the kids, you know, dropping them off here for ballet and then for this and then for that. It's a lot of things that slow down. But I think we all also began to realize that just because you now have more time doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually resting. Doesn't I, I think a year or so in, if we were to ask many people, they would probably say, I feel more fatigued. Because now mentally I'm zooming all the time, you know, whereas previously I had to drive to work, so at least I had time to think, you know, now it, that time is being filled up by more work. Because I've got more time now, so I'm working more, and the boss requires more, when, um, generally speaking. Okay, and so it's important to understand the pull of the busyness of life. It's important to understand the pull even of a, of a system that wants to keep us away from resting in God. Keep us away from bringing our cups to him so that he can fill us. And the devil has got no problem with keeping us busy. He's got no problem with sending U.S. leaders back with a new strategy for your team, a, a new vision for your team, and just have you run with that and not do that from a place of you yourself being refreshed. Because as the leader goes, so goes the team. We cannot give what we do not possess. And what we want to give is we want to lead from a place of overflow. We want to lead from a place where we are resting in God, right? Uh, one of the beautiful pictures for me always is of the, uh, I always get confused. Is it the duck or the geese? Both of them can swim, eh? Lekker. And swimming, lekker. Yeah, both of them can swim. But the duck is a bit heavier, I think. Yeah? Smaller. Okay, but whatever one it is, you look on them in the water, they're cruising along nicely and just cruising. Hey, but underneath... And there's some activity. There's a lot of stuff, lot of stuff going on there. Right? And I think God is, is wanting us to, to understand that He wants us to have stuff happening in our lives. But He wants us to do it from a place of calm and a place of rest. Right? Where we're not frantic and we're not just running um, after stuff. So, if you can go to the, the next slide for me. What I, what I want to share with us this, this morning is just some of the, the insights that I gleaned from from this book, and for me, it's been amazing, because this, this book <laughs> captures a lot of what we have been on in the journey that we have been on as a, as a, as a church family. So I'm not even going to, to say that these are all my wonderful insights, because, <laughs> because they are not. I've stolen them, right, from Peter Scazzaro, unashamedly, I admit it, and um, I just want to share some of that with you. He speaks about emotionally unhealthy leaders. Okay, and I know, all right, let me just say this, all of us are gifted differently, okay? So some of us, when we talk about emotions, we get goosebumps, right? You're just like, that's my language, man. Just like, yes, you know, let's, let's talk about it. Let's go deep. All right, I want to know how you feel. Tell me, tell me, let me look into your soul, you know, and by just looking into your soul, I can just like, boof, 
You know, you know people like that. Right? They're like, so how are you? You know, you're all fine, but just because they ask you, like, yo, you know, something must be not lucky here. You know, say, no, just saying I'm fine is not going to be good enough. You know, I've got I've to open up more, you know, because I know you see something here. You know, we have people like that, you know. And then, like, there's some of us, emotion, I mean, what is that? You know, it's just like, who needs that? It slows you down. It's just, just get the job done. You know, cry at home. You know, if you cry at all, just like, you know, we're in that spectrum. Of, of emotions, and some of us are gifted more prophetically, you know, in terms of just, like, you can speak the word straight. Some of us will pray for days and fast before we give a hard word. You know, we, we wired, we wired differently, but all of us have emotions, okay? So just because you might be wired differently doesn't mean that you should not be aware of the fact that you do have emotions, because God has created you with emotions. God is an emotional God, all right? He has emotions. He expresses that emotion. He, he weeps. He's excited. He laughs. Just look at Jesus. Um, watch The Chosen, right? If you guys haven't watched The Chosen yet, download the app. Watch it. It portrays Jesus' humanity brilliantly. Because Jesus is man and God. He has emotions. And if we underestimate the power and the impact of emotions upon our lives, what happens, somewhere down the line, those emotions, they leak out. And they come out in ways that are destructive. They come out sometimes at a time when we can least afford them to come out because we have suppressed them. So that, that word that Amri brought this morning, don't just have that as a word that passes over you. Right? Some of us are carrying stuff that God says, I want you to, to bring those things to me. I want you to slow down and deal with those things, process those things. Okay? And so what, what, what Peter says about emotionally unhealthy leaders is that the emotionally unhealthy leader is someone who operates in a continuous state of emotional and spiritual deficit. Right? So, so there are times when you go through a tough season. Like, and you have to work a little bit harder, you sleep less, you don't have enough time always to, to journal or, 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 or have your quality quiet time like you, like you normally do. But the, those times should be the exception, the rare exception. Emotionally unhealthy leaders are those who operate out of a continuous state of emotional and spiritual deficit. So in other words, you don't operate out of an overflow. And so the revelation and the things that you share are things that we get from other people. And you hear something that sounds good, and you apply that. And it doesn't come from a place of, of overflow. Lacking emotional maturity and a being with God sufficient to sustain the doing for God. I, I know, we all know that. But it is so powerful. It says emotionally unhealthy leaders lack a sustainable rhythm where your being with God is able to sustain your doing for God. Right? Your being with God. So in other words, my, 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 my relationship with God, my being with God, flows into my doing with God. And, and as I share this with you, it is so simple. But guys, I've, I've got to tell you how incredibly difficult it is for spiritual people to apply this. And, and, and what I'm not asking you is whether you know this. I'm not asking you whether you know this. I'm asking you whether you are living this. Because we all know stuff, but we, we caught in that wrestle, in that behavioral gap between what we know and what we are living. And so that's why you can come to someone's life who's, and we all know the stories across the denominational spectrum, right? From the reformers to the charismatic Pentecostal church leaders, just in the last year, all right? Amazing Men with amazing ministries. 
where at the end lose their inheritance, lose their legacy, because they operate in a continuous state of spiritual deficit and thought that the spiritual activity would be enough to sustain them. And nobody starts off saying, I'm going to operate out of that deficit. But slowly but surely, if we're not careful, our activity can push us into that. Unhealthy leaders lack, amongst other things, awareness of their feelings. And they lack awareness of their feelings. So, so, So often what that means is that you have this vague sense of something is not right, but you don't know what it is. Because you're aware of this, you just work harder, you cycle more, you do whatever you need to do just to go on, but you don't stop to actually think about how you're thinking, think about how you're feeling. Right? And then it comes out, you kick the dog, pull the cat's tail, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, you get that moment where the guy suddenly in traffic gets out, takes a baseball bat, bashes somebody's window in. That thing didn't happen suddenly. The guy didn't wake up the morning thinking, day's a good day. I'm going to destroy my reputation and, you know, destroy someone's life or what, destroy someone's car. That was a moment that flowed out of a, a lack of awareness. And it was probably because the day before something happened and the day before something happened that went unprocessed. Okay? And so when you are aware of what comes out of your mouth and all of those things, it's important to stop and to think about that. So, so why am I saying this? When we work with teams and when all of you guys as leaders, you know that each one of our teams has the ability to push your buttons. There are moments when things are, it's heaven. It is absolutely, I mean, things couldn't be better, couldn't be easy. This is absolutely worth it. This is amazing. This is incredible. And then there are moments when you're like, Jesus, come on. Please. These people, you know, just like, couldn't you have planted me somewhere else? Couldn't you have given me other people? You just like, we all get to those moments, like, like Moses did. Just like, I know some of you look at me like, Heinrich, what are you talking about? Man, we don't, don't experience that at all. I thank God if you haven't experienced it before. But maybe say in 10 years' time, right, you do experience it. Remember this, all right? Just remember this, this session, okay? What we want to do is we don't, in that moment, want to take out on the people stuff that we should have dealt with in another context. So typically is you invite 10 people to the training, you've planned for it, you've ordered the pizza to pitch. Right? Then you moan at the two for the eight that didn't come. And you're sulking instead of just celebrating the two. You know, that kind of thing. All right? Because you've, so much of it has been just going on on this moment. You know, you've built everything up to it. And meanwhile, you're actually frustrated because at work, you're struggling to get your guys on board. You send out an email. Only one guy replied. You know, the Zoom crashed. And you know, all of those things build up into that moment where you're actually working with your team. And um, so that's what we want to prevent. They are unaware of their weaknesses and their limits. Unaware of their weaknesses and their limits. And for, for people that are pastorally inclined, very often it's one of our greatest challenges. is to know where does my capacity stop? What are my limits? I'm not God. I cannot be everything for everyone. There's a limit. I only have a certain amount of hours and capacity. And, and so I need to be comfortable within that. And if I'm not... Then I keep on pushing myself, and I keep on pushing those around me, and I'm just going to see more people, and I'm going to work harder, and I look at my schedule, like, oh, there are more people, so I'm going to sleep less, so I can get to do more, and I can get away with it up until a certain point. 
when the body crashes or the mind crashes or the relationship crashes. Um, they're unaware of how their past impacts their present, what Skazera calls their shadow. They're unaware of the, of the shadow of past experiences. How if you, if you just move from, from one church to the next because you're not happy with the volume of the music or you're not happy with the doctrine being preached there, but you haven't dealt with your experiences there, the next church is going to be amazing for a while. The best thing sent from heaven. There's no one, nothing like that church. But somewhere down the line, you're going to get into similar situations. And if you haven't dealt with the things that happened in the previous church or in the previous team, you carry that over into your new environment. All right? And for, for many of us, mostly, because I know we're all um, godly people, mostly our past, and that's why something like legacy, legacy destiny, so important. It's mostly our, our childhood experiences that impact even how we lead, how we handle conflict, how we saw our folks handle conflict, whether I was the, the kid that had to keep everybody at peace with each other, you know, whether I was the one that got the hand-me-downs. All of those things impact how we lead. And a mostly unhealthy leader is unaware of the fact that your leadership skill and your emotional uh, uh, capacity to handle things didn't fall out of the sky, didn't zap you out of the Bible. Just because you're reading the Bible, just because you're worshiping, just because you are praying in the Spirit, doesn't mean that the way you handle your emotions, you handle your relationships, are automatically sanctified. We are in the process of being sanctified. And unless we are aware of our shadow, unless we are aware of how our upbringing impacts us today and our previous experiences, we will repeat some mistakes. Right? So embrace opportunities for you, where you from time to time, even if you have to do a refresher, go back and do legacy again. Just where you are not the guy leading. You are the person that can just sit and you can just receive. And somebody can talk to you through some, some things. One of the other big um, characteristics of an emotionally unhealthy leader is they are very often unaware of the impact upon others. They're unaware of how other people experience them. So in their own mind, you know, they're the most amazing, the most patient, the most joyous, the most whatever. But they're unaware that people might love them as a friend, but don't want to work with them. People might in, enjoy them and all of that, but don't trust them. They're unaware of that. They're unaware that when I do this, that's got this impact on those around me. Right? And so we counter that by transparency and humility, by inviting feedback from people around us. But an emotionally healthy leader will not invite feedback, will not ask his wife or his kids or the, the team, how am I doing? Um, I remember massive growth, a moment for us in, in Summers of the West was taking a, a, a whole Saturday, Friday evening and a Saturday, just when we were going through some leadership changes in the congregation. And one of our elders is uh, um, actually in Schofield Pretoria now, uh, Johan Stadler, uh, industrial engineer, right? So processes is his thing and, and all of that. And so he came up with this brilliant plan, suggestion, to get all the leaders and, and everybody who was a leader um, to come together on a Saturday and just pull everything apart of church. Just have an honest look at everything and evaluate the processes, evaluate how we're communicating, evaluate the, um, uh, uh, the engagement levels and, and all of that. I'm like, man, do I really want to go through that? 
And so just for a whole Saturday, you know, God just went for it. Just, and what we said was, if you, if you want to be part of the solution, then we invite you to bring the problems as well that you see. That was the condition. If, if you want to be part of the solution, then you come and identify the problems as well. But there was tough. It was tough just listening to a lot of stuff, seeing things, and, and, and we had to navigate through that. And that's not easy for a leader to, to go through, but you know how much we grew through that. Things that we could address, some things which were like not of God, we could ignore. But we had to listen to that, we had to grow through that. And so if we are emotionally unhealthy, we will not invite feedback. And we will overreact if somebody says, hey, maybe we should consider this. And you're like, no! This is what the Lord told me. You know, this is my passion. And if we emotionally secure in ourselves, we're able to invite feedback from others. They also lack the capacity and the skill to enter deeply into the feelings and perspectives of others. And so that just means if I'm unaware of my own emotions, I'm not going to pick up on the emotions of my team. I'm not going to know when they're feeling fatigued, or sad, or irritated by something that I'm doing. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to steamroll. I'm just going to go, 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 go. All right? So again, if you want to connect with others, what did Jesus say? You need to love the Lord our God, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we need to love others as we love ourselves, right? So he wants us to connect with him. He wants us to connect with others. But he actually wants us to connect with ourselves as well. And what I found within our church family, many of you guys have come through the steering environment where you got saved. Many of you guys have come in and you just started serving. Many of us, we are brilliant. We, we, we love connecting with God. We love pouring ourselves out into others, but we don't take the time to connect with ourselves. We don't take the time to connect with ourselves. And it's something that we shy away from even. And it's part of the commandment. It's to love the commandment in there is actually, thou shalt love thyself. It's actually, if you read it, it's, it's, it's in there. And now we're not talking about you know, worshiping yourself. And we're not talking about exalting yourself above God and putting your own needs first. And we're not talking about, I think we all understand that. And we're not talking about self-worship. What we are talking about is that you've got to understand how important you are in God choosing you to fulfill His purpose through your life. And you've got to value yourself enough to slow down and to pay attention to what's going on on the inside. They carry these immaturities with them into their teams and everything that they do. And so when I was thinking about us as, as leaders building teams, and you know, I shared with the, the elders yesterday that I have engagement with a lot of other pastors from big churches and successful ministries. And a lot of them were knocked extremely hard during COVID. Um, attendances that dropped, financial giving that dropped. And guys, on the whole, for us as a Shofar Church family, God has been so gracious to us. You know, financially, we were able to give. It's, it's crazy. You know, just last year, over, I think it's 1.2 million rand that was given just for for, 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 for feeding schemes in our church family. Just people just giving throughout our, our church family. You know, in general, the finances have been, been very stable. And relationally, we've had a little bit of a fallout, but we came through it because we value relationship. We're connected with each other. And that is a strength that God has given us, but it is something which we need to cherish and something which we should not take, um, take for granted. And, and, and what we want to do is, if we can go to the next slide, is we want to be able to just identify this morning some spiritual deficits, okay, that 
can reveal itself in too much activity. It goes on to say that unhealthy leaders engage in more activities than their combined spiritual, physical, and emotional reserves can sustain. Uh, they engage in activities that they combine because we are all of those things. Spiritual, physical, and emotional, and relational. And we're all of those. And all of those things then have an impact upon us building teams and leading as leaders. And what the devil wants us to do is to be fragmented. So we come and we do a course on leadership. And it keeps us away from actually looking at the other things as well. Right? And, and, and my heart's desire is that the Lord Jesus will continue to lead all of us into a holistic way of leading and living our lives. So that what the Lord speaks to us in spirit, we are able to evaluate within the context of all the other things as well. Otherwise, often you will hear people say, I need to take a break, um, and then you don't see them again. It's almost like the last words. Yeah? I'm gonna, we, need a, we need a break. We need to uh, just have some time for each other. And then you know, okay, that's about, that's almost, there's almost no coming back from that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, why? Because they've kept it too long. You know, they've, they haven't paid attention to it. By the time they, they now realize we need to take a break, it's because you've been sleeping three hours, you've got a tummy ulcer, and your marriage is falling apart, and now you're never going to go back to serving again because you now blame serving for your mental and your relational and your physical condition. And you blame the church for that. And it's not serving, it's not the church, but it is the rhythm and the fact that we, we find our identity very often in those things. Okay, and, and we want... All of us, my desire is, Nick and I, we speak about it all the time, is we want our kids to love church. We want our kids to be passionate about church. We want our, our kids to see it as the greatest privilege to be part of the body of Christ and to serve in the local church. And as leaders, you guys have the opportunity to lead your teams in such a way that there are generations of teams being built up. There are generations of spiritual sons and daughters that will see it as the greatest privilege, the greatest honor to serve in God's kingdom. And not as a stumbling block, not as something that clashes against all the other things. And so the only way we can do that is if we lead our teams as well to healthy emotional spirituality. But first we need to be there. Okay? They they give out more than they give out more for God than they receive from Him. All right? For pastors, they'd often manifest in the fact that reading scripture almost always has a sermon attached to it. You know, instead of just reading scripture for what God wants to say to me. Right? Um, worship becomes professional. It happens. You just worship on Sunday. That's, that's a temptation for a pastor, a temptation for a band. Um, they serve others in order to share the joy of Christ, but their joy remains elusive to themselves. They serve others because they want to impart the joy, they want to impart the peace, they want to impart the contentment, but for themselves, they're honest. The joy has gone out the door a long time ago. The demands and pressures of leadership make it nearly impossible for them to establish a consistent and sustainable rhythm of life. And that's, that's, that's where we're at. Right? I'm trusting the Lord to be able to do a marathon soon. And I realized I need to, I need to make a massive shift. I was just like, I want to go out as fast as possible. I, wanna, I came across my journal, 1990, I don't know what it was, running with any. You know, it was just like, yeah, a great run with Henny. It was awesome running with Henny. You know, just like, oh, Henny almost got away from me, but I caught him again at that kilometer. It was just like looking at our times. I'm like, man, I ran those times. And I'm like, you know, 20 years later, I still want to run those times. But I'm not going to get there. 
overnight. You know, trusting God, maybe I can still get, but it's going to take me time. But I've got to go slow, build it up slowly, build it up slowly to, to get there. Because I still want to be running, you know, late on in my life. And that's what we want to do. We don't just want to go from, from leadership meeting to leadership meeting, and then after a while, we're just gone. We want to do this consistently. And so what I want to do is we enter into this, into this break. What I want you to do is just have a look at, at that. And I want you to take a couple of minutes. We've got five minutes left. Ella, if you could maybe just come and play something for us just softly. Because I want us to just ask the Holy Spirit for you to make a quick assessment just of your, your spiritual, physical, and emotional reserves right now. Okay, just, just ask the Holy Spirit if, if you were to just... Take a look at your emotional reserves. Take a look at your physical reserves. Take, take a look at your, your spiritual reserves. If you were to look at yourself and, and say, okay, you know, in terms of my, my capacity, I am quite comfortable with the fact that if I continue physically and emotionally and spiritually, if I continue the way that I am now, five years down the line, ten years down the line, I will be happy with the fruit. That's, that's my sense what I'm asking you. If... if if I continue doing what I'm doing now and how I'm doing it now, will I be happy with the physical fruit? Will I be happy with the emotional fruit? Will I be happy with the spiritual fruit? Okay, that's just between you and God because Jesus wants to come and meet you there. Right, so, so in other words, physically, this week I slept very little. Right? So I know I've got to make sure that I, in the next little while, I catch up. I've got to clear some stuff my calendar. I've, I've, I've got to, I cannot continue this. this. This has to be the exception for me. But I've got to be aware of that. I've got to be aware that if I don't plan for next week to clear some things and make sure that my body recovers from this week, there will always be a crisis. There will always be something that's important. Ah, oh, but you don't know. I've got two, two little kids and you know this thing and that thing. Yeah, I don't know, but Jesus knows. And Jesus wants your body to be a, a vehicle for the Holy Spirit. Amen? Right? So, so invite Jesus into that conversation, into that assessment. If you're concerned about something, if you're concerned about the pace at which you're running, if you're concerned about emotionally just, you know, your, your emotional tank, invite Jesus into that. Now, how's, how's your capacity to remain patient? How's your capacity, how's your joy level? That thing just hit me where he said that, you know, they... They share stuff with other people so they can have joy, but their own joy level is, is down. How's your, how's your joy level this, this morning, your peace level this morning? And then spiritually, how are you doing? How's, how's your, your connection time with the, with the Lord? Um, let's close our eyes. I want to just, just pray for you. Jesus, we are so thankful, Lord, that you have brought us together, Lord. And I, I'm going to thank you, Lord. I know as we're sitting here, there's so much that you have done. And Lord, there's, there's, there's so much in these precious people of yours that you have invested. And I want to thank you for the fact that they are willing to be clay in your hands. Father, you are shaping them, Lord, and the beauty, the, um, the treasures that they are. And God, I want to thank you that you love them so much. I want to thank you, Lord, that irrespective of whether their teams are hitting it out of the park, Lord, and the team dynamics are amazing, and um, everybody loves serving on that team, and 
whether it's a big team or whether it's a small team or whether the team has completely crumbled during COVID and they have to start from scratch or irrespective, Lord, of how the team is doing and their function is doing. God, that each one is precious to you. And that you have arranged this morning, God, because you, you want us to sit at your feet. Thank you that you are the healer, Lord, and, and you will have your way with us this morning. Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you in this, the spirit of illumination, Lord. Thank you that you show us just where you want to put your finger, Lord, just gently. Let's feel the Lord is saying to some of us, you don't have to fear opening up to Him. Right? You're not opening up to me. You're opening up to Him. You're just inviting His light. And He's going to be gentle with you. You don't, you don't have to fear falling apart. You don't have to fear disqualification. There's no judgment. There is healing. That's all. That's why He's talking to you this morning. Because He has something more in store for you. He wants to fill your cup. new wine. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just continue to just do business with Jesus and Try to put something down just on paper there. Just maybe some of you just need to wrestle with God a little bit. It's felt that some of you you're afraid to write that thing down because then you you acknowledge it and you know you uh, you've been running from it. You've been ignoring the signs. You you actually don't want to go there because you, it feels like you're going to open up a Pandora's box. I feel God is saying that you're going to find the treasure of Him. In your chaos, in your fear, you're going to find Him, the treasure of His presence, of His strength and His grace. Don't be afraid. Lord, we take authority over every spirit of fear, every voice of accusation wanting to minister. And now, Lord, wanting, wanting people just to shut off. I thank you for an openness, Lord, to allow you to just do. So we remain in your presence, God.
I believe Jesus is wanting to walk with us. And you would just take his hand and just feel him just extending his hand towards you and say, I just want to walk with you again. Just, uh, just take my hand. You don't have to fix everything at once. But just take my hand. And my bride, I love you and I'm going to, I'm the one that pursues your heart and I'm here this morning. going to enter just into this time of resting in him I've got some drinks there at the back for you um, and they have the courtyard over on this side there's something that's burnt in your heart and maybe you want to grab a friend and say can we, can we pray about this and you do that, you just want to spend some time by yourself thinking while you're sipping on your coffee or Snacking on your apple, you can do that. You just want to remain here in the Lord's presence, in this atmosphere of worship, you can, you can do that as well. Um, let's try and be back here at 25 past. So we're going to take a 15-minute break and uh, yeah, just go in as the, as the Lord leads you. Okay, so just ask you that if you want to chat, maybe just chat there at the back, in the foyer area, out in the courtyard. It's a beautiful sunny day outside. God bless you. Guys, let's just stand. And we just want to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. Um, The Holy Spirit can do in a moment so much more than what any of us can do in a lifetime. So as you just continuing to reflect on some of the, the stuff you were thinking of, or reflecting on the, the lovely coffee you had or the lachi, let's thank the Lord. Part of us being just in a place of emotional health is just to thank God for little things. Um, I don't know about you, but I think some of, some of you guys might have had godly grandparents and you'll remember how often they prayed for everything just thank God for everything one of the first things they tend to go out the door when when we um, we are trapped in a cycle of being extremely busy even with spiritual things is that we lose the thankfulness element so I'm just back at inviting God into the car whenever we drive anywhere thanking him for safe arrival inviting him into everything. The Jewish people have amazing um, traditions in terms of prayer, thanking God for everything. They even thank God for the ability to go to the toilet. Just after they've been to the toilet, they say a prayer for a healthy body that works. (laughs) So, yeah, let's just invite the spirit of thankfulness also. Just part of being a healthy leader is just inviting people into a space of thankfulness to God. So Lord, we thank you for this break that we could have. Lord, we thank you for the snacks 
that we could feed our bodies physically now, Lord. And as we do that, Lord, we are deeply aware of how good you are to us. We're deeply aware of how privileged we are. That we can be in this venue. That we could have what we just had. We could enjoy physical nourishment. We could enjoy the nourishment of friendship. We don't have to meet in secret, fearing for our lives. We don't have to be on an involuntary fast because we don't have food to eat. You are good to us physically, spiritually. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We bring you these bodies, Lord, as living sacrifices. We pray, God, everything broken, everything out of sync in our bodies. We present to you and we ask that you will come and have your will in these temples bring the alignment bring the healing only you can bring we worship you I just raise our hands to him thank him praise him worship him
We desire our lives, Lord, to be the praise of your glory. We desire our lives to be the songs, Lord God, that we sing. We desire our lives, Lord, to reflect your heart. So we thank you, Lord, for creating us for your glory. We thank you that you are passionately committed, Lord, to the work that you've started in us. That we can submit ourselves to your hands. and We trust your nail-pierced hands. We thank you that they are loving hands that they are gentle and firm and strong all at the same time. And God, this morning we put our trust, God, in you as the great shepherd. Not even so much, Lord, in our ability to, to follow you, but in your ability to lead us. We trust you. We surrender fresh and anew to you, our teams, Lord. We surrender them into your hands. God, our ability to lead, our ability to motivate, our ability, Lord, to to, to lead from the overflow of our connection with you. We surrender all of that to you, God. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are working inside of us and through us. And Jesus, you are the spirit of resurrection and of hope inside of us, God. We don't have to manufacture emotions or feelings, God. We can heal to you, trust you. I thank you that you are causing even, Lord God, emotions to come alive in us, Lord. And for some of us, you bring in balance, you bring in the ability, Lord, to have our emotions not govern everything about us, Lord, but for them to be in submission to you. We thank you, Jesus. Praise you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Maybe God, just grab you, grab your seat there. Um, so in the session, what I want to share with you is to, to take what we've spoken about, sort of, you know, the, the negative components in terms of um, what emotionally unhealthy leaders are. Just flip it a bit, and we can go to the slide that, that says uh, emotionally healthy leaders, um, number one. Emotionally healthy leaders, 
what do emotionally healthy leaders do? I mean, what does it, what does it, what does it look like? And again, I want to encourage you, uh, you can get the book, Emotionally Healthy Leaders, on, on, uh, on Kindle, it's e-readers, it's available. It really is worthwhile just to spend some time digging into it. I just want to uh, stir your heart a little bit to, to explore this some more. But, but what emotionally healthy leaders do is they cultivate. So in other words, we understand, and we talk about cultivation, we understand that it's a process, amen? We understand that there are no quick fixes uh, often in, in God's journey with us. We are the planting of the Lord. We are the garden of the Lord. He's the husbandman. And so he, he works on us, even as he works through us. And what we want to do is we want to yield to him, not just to work through us, but to continue to work on us. Um, to not fall into the trap, to simply just be the vehicle through which God is working, but also to say, God, we want you to continue to work on us. And so it's a, it's a journey, all right, a continuous journey. And as emotionally healthy leaders, what we want to do is we want to cultivate, we want to grow a high level of self-awareness. And so we, like I said, we don't want to ignore what's going on the inside. We, we want to create um, a space in our minds where we can listen to the internal dialogue. I, I, I remember what Lisa Bavia said many years ago. I read this, this, uh, this quote from her, just speaking to moms. And she said that it's one thing for a mom to, to tell her little girl uh, or teenage daughter, you're beautiful, you are uh, uh, beautifully created, and you're valuable, and, and all of those things, and say those words to her, but what's going to be more important is what she hears when she hears her mom speaking about herself. What's your self-dialogue like when you stand in front of the mirror? What, what are, what's the self-dialogue like? What, what's going on in your, in your mind when you talk about yourself, when you think about yourself? Um, and it's important for us to, to listen to that, and, and normally what happens is that that self-dialogue comes out in moments of pressure. Um, and so Jesus is so faithfully committed to getting us to, to, to listen to what he wants to say to us that he will allow pressure situations in our lives. And as leaders, we need to embrace the pressure situations, not fight against them, because the pressure will always be there. So when we talk about emotionally healthy leadership and living from a place of rest, we're not talking about fleeing from pressure. Because then you're not going to be a leader, are you? I mean, leaders by nature very often are drawn to pressure situations because you are solution-oriented. You love problems. You see gaps. You want to step into those, those gaps. And so we're not talking about just being like, ah, oh, just lying on your back the whole day and you know, you're not doing anything. It's, it's not that. I think many of us can identify with the fact that you can spend a week at the beach somewhere and come back as tired as what you were. You know, because you didn't actually feed yourself properly. Just sleeping, just lying there is not, it's not the thing that we're talking about, right? We, we are talking about the ability to live productively but from a place of rest. And that's why you, when the moment of pressure is there, when the email comes and you feel that, oh, you know, where the, 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 the bus comes into your lane or, you know, whatever happens or the kid does something at home and something pops out, don't ignore that. Listen to that. Be aware of what's going on in the inside. Emotionally healthy leaders, they express, express emotions like anger, fear, and sadness appropriately and honestly. So they don't suppress it. One of the greatest challenges for us in church is dealing with anger. Um, we, many of us have grown up with this notion that anger is a sin. Right? Um, manifesting that anger in an ungodly way is a sin. 
Right? What we do with that emotion, the anger is a symptom of something. Okay, and that and that root of the anger can be can be just. Justice, in other words, you are legitimately upset about an injustice that's taking place, right? And so you should be angry about how you express that anger. Um, Moses, you will remember, Moses had a temper problem, all right? We, he arrives on the scene, little baby, obviously, um, hidden away by his mom, raised by his, his stepmom. But he had an anger problem that crept in somewhere, somewhere down the line. Maybe it was the stories that he heard. Maybe it was being treated like the outsider all the time in the palace. We don't know what led to it. What we do know is when somebody pushed his button, he lost it and he killed the guy. Right? And so it took him 40 years of God getting him out of that situation. God could deal with him. He could let go of his, of his, uh, his, his, his desire to fix things because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be the savior. He wanted to lead the Israelites. He wanted to, and so the guys asked him, who do you think you are? Who appointed you as our leader? Right? Because he was driven to make a difference. He was driven to do something about it. And so he assumed a position. And God had to get him out of that situation into the desert and then call him to lead God's people from a place of brokenness. But because he didn't deal with those things consistently, eventually the moaning and the groaning of the Israelites got to him. And like, you've, you've brought us here to kill us. You should have left us in Egypt. I mean, this guy is laying his life on the line. He could have been a shepherd, you know, brying every night, but he's putting his life on the line. And it's stunk for dunk, you know. There's like no gratitude. People want to kill him. He's just being obedient to God, and his reward is they want to kill him. All right? And so he's like, how, how much more must I do? Red Sea. You know, it's like a, a column of fire. It's like everything is there. And still the guys are moaning. And so he gets angry legitimately, all right? They were being rebellious, and so, and so there was a place for him to be upset. But instead of dealing with an anger in front of God, instead of bringing his heart to God and interceding for the people and asking for God's grace, he didn't. He allowed it to bottle up on the inside, and so God said, speak to the rock. And Moses is like, hits that rock, all right? And it says, you stiff-necked people, let me show you, right? Today I'm going to show you. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. You, know, you have an urge to just show someone, you know? Today I'm going to show you. You know, and he smashes the rock instead of speaking to the rock. The thing is, of course, that hitting the rock, and I, I don't know how often we read the Bible like this, hitting the rock. You know, you know, we like so very sanctified when we read. We have these Bible stories and see the guy, you know, lightly touching the rock. But I think he, when God said, hit the rock, he hit the rock, you know, the first time and water came forth. And now he goes on assumption. This thing worked before. Hitting the rock brings water out. So God says, speak to the rock. But I'm like, I hear this voice, speak to the rock. But I know hitting the rock also brings out water. Plus I'm feeling angry. I'm going to feel better after I'm hitting this rock. He hits the rock and God says, no, man. You know, that lack of self-control is not going to take the people into the promised land. And so he misses out on, on the fulfillment of his desire and, and such a lot of hard work because his anger got the better of him. And he walked in assumption. And so what we don't want to do, we don't want to be in those moments where we show people, you know, where we allow those things to build up and build up. Today I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. Right, and so you actually talk about just the, uh, um, 
the zinc at work, guys just leaving their stuff there, not cleaning it up. That's the conversation. But in actual fact, the thing becomes a whole big thing, you know, but all the other stuff happening in the office and like people not listening to you and, and it gets blown out of proportion, right? Because it's building up on the inside. And so God wants us to express our anger, take our anger to him. Sometimes, you know, you've got band practice and the team is supposed to be there in time. Guy comes in 20 minutes later, he still greets everyone, you know, and like you guys are there, and then, you know, gets up, and then his girlfriend comes in, he comes off the stage, hugs her, he should be practicing. You should be legitimately upset about that, right, because that conveys disrespect to the rest of the team. There are certain things that are unacceptable, all right, but if you have left that thing because this is the 10th time the guy's coming late, and you didn't speak to him after the first time, you know, the risk is that you're going to speak to him in such a way that he's never going to want to serve again. And the rest of the team looks at them like, whoa. You know, what was that? What happened there? It should be addressed, but it should be addressed in a legitimate way. Right? And so what we want to do is we want to be able to deal with anger, express anger appropriately and honestly. And it's one of the greatest challenges within a spiritual church environment is how do you deal with anger? How do you address the elephant in the room? And so I want to encourage you guys as, as team leaders, sometimes there are elephants in the room. Sometimes there are levels of commitment. There are values, the way guys talk to each other, people not answering emails, not responding to WhatsApps. Those things are unacceptable, all right? They are, they are just unacceptable, and we should not tolerate them because that's not the way godly people deal with each other. If you send out invitation for people to respond, people should be responding on that. You're gracious, and you give people opportunities to grow, but address that thing. Don't just leave it. So what then happens? Resentment starts building up in your heart. Right? And so you, 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 you get along better with other people. And this guy, you just keep him a little bit at arm's, at arm's length. Why? Because you're not addressing an issue. Right? And the Lord wants us to, to not allow those things to come between us and, and people. Address them. Fear. Often we experience fear. and We don't want to acknowledge fear because, because it's a sin. Jesus speaks to us often right, about fear. And the biggest thing, mistake we can make is to pretend that the fear isn't there. Right? And then your body starts feeling it, your body starts experiencing it, and you just continue on and on. And eventually the thing grows instead of looking at it, seeing where it's coming from. It's fear of rejection. If I do this, I step up, I bring a word, you know, will people like it? I sing the song, will people like that? You know, all sorts of stuff. Um, what will happen if I say no to the pastor? Fear. Yes, I don't want to say no, then I continue in the job till eventually, instead of him, you telling him, man, I just can't serve right now for the next five weeks or so, eventually builds up. And some people actually leave church because they don't have the courage to, to say no. All right? Deal with those, with those things. All right? Sadness, sadness, the same, the same thing. Right? Don't ignore emotion-related physical messages like fatigue, stress-induced illness, weight gain, ulcers, insomnia, chronic headaches, or depression. Right? There's a place where we need to pray for those things. Right? We need to trust the Lord for the fire of the Holy Spirit and for those things to get healed. But sometimes uh, we work against the Holy Spirit, we work against the healing. All right? Because the pace at which we run and because we are ignoring certain things, the stress that's building up on the inside every time before you have to go and visit your, your mother-in-law. You know, where, where is that thing coming from? You know, every time you have the conversation about uh, kids or whatever the case might be, right? Things start happening, you can't sleep. Um, a while ago, just my heart, just like this, this pain in my chest. I thought it was because of the fact I'm starting to run again and 
eventually went to see a doctor, and the guy said, no, you're fine. Your heart rate is low. Oxygen levels are good. And I just said, look, sometimes you pick up things and you just carry those things. So maybe just consider just slowing down a bit, right? And it wasn't even a word of knowledge. It was just like good common sense, you know? Um, and I want to rebuke the pain. I did rebuke it. I did pray for it and all of that. But there was something physically that I had to, I had to do, that I had to change, that I had to, had to slow down, right? So please don't, don't ignore that. Um, we go into the next one, second part of that. Using tools like strengths, finders, mice, briggs, disc, tall trees, all of those things are extremely valuable in getting you to a better understanding of what your gifts are as a leader. How do you function socially? How do you function professionally? Um, what's, your, what's your leadership profile? All of those things. They're incredibly important. They will help you in your team dynamics. Please do those things. I know you, Gautengers, you own it, all right? Most of you guys work in corporate environments, and so you know all of those things and it's very, very, very important. But don't ignore the, the softer uh, uh, things that influence how you act, right? Like we've said, your shadow, your filters, the positive and the negative. Right? I grew up in a family. I'm a Dumanese kid, so we are, I love my family. I love the background that I come from. Our family, by nature, are, are ministers of reconciliation. People with broken wings are drawn to our family. It's been a great privilege growing up in that family. So, I love situations where I can see reconciliation take place. I have a lot of patience with people because that's the way that I've grown up. But I've had to learn how to deal with conflict because we didn't do deal with conflict in our, in our home. All right? So there was, um, I never saw my mom and dad fight, you know, which, which is amazing on the one hand. It really is incredible. They have an amazing relationship. Um, but I, I never saw modeled how to just differ with someone. In a, in, a, in a positive way, not shy away from that. So my wife taught me a lot <laughs> how, to, how to do this. She used mightily in God's, in God's hand. You know, um, to, to embrace and not shy away from it and, and to actually see that as a learning experience. It's something that I had to grow into and I had to grow through. My filter was conflict is bad. My filter was conflict. My, my dad had the saying, change of subject. Whenever there was like a potentially tense thing building up, change of subject, my dad would change the conversation. And we would talk about something that's amazing. I'm like, it's no time to talk about something that's amazing right now. You know, there's some stuff to, to talk about. That impacted my leadership. Impacted the way that I lead people and how I would function with my wife and even with my, with my kids. Right? So it's important for you to... To, to, to just be aware of both the positive and the negative, because none of us just have one or the other. Okay? It doesn't matter how broken you feel your family was, how amazing you feel your family was, because they were simply human. All right? The absence of the above inhibits our ability to read, to resonate, to empathize, and to navigate with the emotional world of others on teams, um, like I said already. All right? So that means that um, if, we, if we're not aware of those things, we don't have the self-awareness around us. Uh, it can often come as a surprise to us if people don't want to be on our teams, they don't want to serve with us because of some softer things that we are ignoring. But being aware is, is a journey. Uh, invite feedback, right? like I said. Invite feedback from people that you know, people that you trust, not just from people who will tell you what you want to hear. All right. Invite feedback from people who will be honest enough. And I hope all of us have relationships like that. Accountability relationships, people who love us, people that we trust, we know they will tell us when they see things in us that uh, is a little bit out of sync. 
Okay, secondly, emotionally healthy leaders, what they do is they prioritize marriage or singleness over ministry. And by ministry, I mean the marketplace ministry or the pulpit. And I know all of, all of us here, many of us, we call to ministry within church, not necessarily maybe to lead the church. We're passionate about certain ministries. Some of us are passionate about ministry within the marketplace environment. And some of you guys even here are going to plant churches and be part of, of church plants, right? But it's, it's, the calling is the same. It just manifests differently. I mean, I, I know all of us know that. But what we want to do is we want to prioritize our, our marriages or our singleness, right? So God calls us both in our married state and in our single state to use that as a reflection of His love to the world. Right? And so we see in Scripture married couples and unmarried people serving the Lord with equal dignity, equal effectiveness. So please, as a single people as well, never feel disqualified, never feel inferior, never feel as if you still need to attain to a certain standard. If you are single, uh, involuntarily, so in other words, you're waiting for your, 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 your spouse, you are on a journey, you're, you're waiting for, for the, um, the revelation and... And um, you're on that journey, right? So that means that's not by choice, but you are embraced. You need to embrace your singleness, right? You need to embrace the fact that God has created you as an individual with certain needs. And so you need to cultivate close relationships with family and with friends, right? Through those relationships, God is going to manifest His glory. If you are married, then your spouse, that's a relationship primarily through which God is wanting to manifest His glory. And as leaders, you need to embrace your singleness. You need to embrace your your, your marriedness if you are married, all right? As the core vision, have the vision that the gift that I'm bringing, the gift that I'm bringing to my team, the gift that I'm bringing to the ministry in a sustainable manner is beyond my skills and beyond all of those things. It's the relationship that I have with God and the relationship that I have with the people around me because God said it is not good for man to be alone, all right? So before he gave him the mandate and all of those things. If you are going to be able to fulfill your mandate, you need people to walk with you. If you're going to take the joy and the peace and the creativity and the beauty of the garden, you're going to multiply that into the world, you need people to walk with you. Right? And that can be within your marriage state or it can be in covenantal friendship relationships with family and friends. Right? The, the book expounds beautifully on the calling of, of singleness. So so the second aspect to singleness is, one, you're waiting for your spouse, and the other one is that you actually feel a calling from the Lord to be celibate, right? And both are, are equally significant and valued. So what we sometimes do when we rush through life and we are very busy spiritually, we see our married state as sort of a basis, right, from which we need to build our, um, our ministry effectiveness. So, so it sounds like it's the same thing, but it's not. When you just see your, your, your marriage as a tool from which you're going to be more effective, the marriage is simply then a vehicle through which you're going to serve ministry. Right? So in other words, I'm going to work on my marriage because I want to be more effective. If I have a good marriage, then people are going to listen to me more, etc., etc. Okay? But it still means that the most of your energy and your creativity goes into actually building the ministry goes into being more effective. And the, the marriage almost becomes just something that you, you are using. And there's a big shift between having your marriage and your family relationships and your friendships as the place where God 
interacts with me, the place that God teaches me how to be gracious, the place where God teaches me His love, how to be forgiving, how to receive forgiveness. Okay, And so I want to encourage you guys, especially you guys that, that still are not married yet, don't wait to cultivate relationships through which God will manifest His, his glory just until you are married. Right? God can use your relationship with your family and your relationship with your friends to showcase His glory. Uh, there's something beautiful in that. That's why God placed you in a family, spiritual family, and a physical family as, as well. So what we do when we are emotionally healthy is we invest our best energy, time, and creativity, not in becoming a better leader. All right? So that's the head of department at work, a CEO, an entrepreneur, a worship leader, a sound team leader, whatever it is. But we invest our best energy, time, and creativity in our marriage or in our single life as a reflection of Christ's love to the world. Now tonight I'm, talk, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that with the, with the married uh, folk. It just means that before I consider everything else, I consider the impact on my marriage. I consider the impact upon those close to me before I take any decisions. Okay, we go to the next, the next slide. Consider, like I said, consider the long-term impact of leadership decisions upon the quality and integrity of your life. So, what we do when we are not in a healthy space, we say yes too quickly, without thinking through the implications. What's the implication of this long term upon my marriage? What's the implication of this upon my friendships? What's the implication of this upon my family life? We shoot from the hip. I can testify to, to that. All right? And we need to cultivate a lifestyle of slowing down and being comfortable saying to people, I will get back to you. Let me think about it. Let me pray about it. And then obviously need to pray about it and think about it and get back to people <laughs> and not just use it to procrastinate. All right? But it's an important skill to, to learn. And in my leadership, I actually am making a habit of it now to say to people, I will, I will think about it and I will, I will get back to you. Whereas in the past, I would say yes to things because it was a good thing and because I said yes to it before already previously and it worked, I'm just in the habit of saying yes again. And to stop then, I had to think through the implications and talking through it with, uh, with Nikki. Treasure and experience direct connection between oneness with spouse and oneness with Jesus. Right? So that just means that if I'm married, I understand that my worship with Jesus, my moments of intimacy with Jesus have to find reflection in my oneness with my spouse. It's the same thing. It is impossible to, to have intimacy with Jesus and oneness with Him and not have it flow out into, into my spouse as well, my relationship with, with her um, or with Him. Right? And so I treasure that connection. I understand that if the one suffers, the other one suffers as well. Right? So I don't live in these boxes of saying, oh, at least I'm fine with Jesus, all right? So, so this, is, uh, um, this is okay to treat my spouse like this or to, or to keep the unforgiveness there. The fruit in ministry is an outflow of the richness in marriage, the close relationships with family and friends. And I just want to say this again. What it means is that what I bring to the table is fruit that I've cultivated. Where do we learn the fruit? Where do we grow the fruit? We grow the fruit in the context of what? I hear the whisper. Relationship, right? That's, that's where we grow. The, the fruit doesn't get grown. You on your knees, on your face, just with Jesus, and in your inner room. 
Right? The conviction hits us, the revelation comes there, the grace comes upon us there, but it gets grown in living it out with imperfect people that push your buttons. That's where the fruit gets grown, and that's where the fruit gets cultivated. So if you isolate yourself, the fruit is not going to grow. And what we bring to the table as leaders, the greatest blessing we can give leaders is the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. Right? And so God gives that to us, and we're all comfortable with the gifts, and I believe growing in that as well. But the fruit long-term is what actually going to make people feel like, hey, this is good fruit. I've tasted this fruit of being part of this amazing team where I feel safe, where I feel encouraged, where I feel challenged, and I'm experiencing this, and because I'm experiencing this, I cannot help but want to have other people experience it as well. But if we don't bring fruit to our teams, we just bring skills, we just bring strategy, we just bring things to do. It is just something that we do and we can't just replicate doing. You know, I at times have, have seen people, and it's, it's a major worry for me. Guys that they, small group leaders, zone coaches, district leaders, top of the pile in one church, come into another one and they're just gone. Just absolutely gone. Why? Because... They were doing a lot of stuff, but the fruit that they tasted actually didn't leave them with a desire to manifest that fruit and share that fruit with others. So there's something wrong in that. And what we want to do is we want to bring fruit to the table. Right, so all of you guys here, you farmers, you cultivators, right, we have narkis and apples outside. Maybe take a narki and an apple with you when, you when you go home. You are the greatest gift that God has given this church family. Right? It's not our vision statement. It's not our church buildings. You are the greatest gift that God has given us. All right? So make sure that you cultivate all the fruit that you can so that people can taste something in your life and say, oh, God is good. I mean, just serving God is good because of what they experience and what they see through, through your life. Okay, then the third one, when we're emotionally healthy, what we are able to do is we our activities for God flow out of our relationship with God, like I've said already. We become comfortable with our limits. We understand we're not God. We can't fix everything. We rest in God. So if there's something that I cannot do, I've tried my best, I relax. I say, Jesus, you take the wheel. It's, it's over to you, God. Um, I embrace slow down leadership and spirituality. Uh, I appreciate, and this is something which we as charismatic Pentecostal people often uh, I'm not so good at solitude and silence are part of our core disciplines. You don't always have to sing something, pray something in God's presence. It's a time we just have to be quiet and enjoy silence in His presence. Just sit and allow Him to speak to you, to be comfortable with just being alone with Him, to walk with Him, and to have that as part of our, our spiritual disciplines. What I've what I found, beginning with the next slide, is that very often, deep, transformative relationship with Christ. Um, if it doesn't take precedence over leading our organization, our business, our ministry, our team, what we can do is we can sort of get away with creating things on the surface that have fruit, but on the long run, not going to have eternal value. Right, so we can be successful in leading our organization, we can be successful in business, successful in ministry, successful in team, but the real transformation is not taking place. And so what we want to do is we want to say, Jesus, transform me. Start with me. I, I spoke to our apostolic team in the national uh, 
council, our regional leaders the other day and just said, guys, when we come into any conversation, we need to understand I'm part of the problem and I'm part of the solution. So when I address something, it's not from a distance. I am part of the problem. I'm part of the solution. I'm asking Jesus, transform me, start with me. Right? So whatever you want to see in your team, ask the Lord to do it in your own heart first. Don't substitute conferences, podcasts, book sermons for slowing down for God, others, and self. In our expression very often, the devil tricks us into thinking that if I've listened to the podcast, I've been to the conference, I've read the book, and I've attended the seminar, then I now have it. And so it's just information, information, information. But when we slow down, we can actually apply the things that we've learned. I told that congregation a while ago, I, I want to give some of them permission. You know, such a dangerous thing because, you know, the guys are already like not, a lot of them are always coming to church the way I want them to. But like, if you, I would be happy with you coming to, coming to church less if you actually apply just one thing that you learn. Just, just apply what you, what you, are, what you are learning. Our, our challenge is not the information or the lack of information. It's actually slowing down to apply those things. Okay, and so if we are spiritually healthy and emotionally healthy, then we are aware of the danger of this thing as well. I'm just listening to this next podcast. I'm just listening to this next thing, reading the next thing. And I think because I've done that, I'm growing. The growing takes place in the living. Okay. And then the last one there, if I'm emotionally healthy, I have a, a healthy work Sabbath rhythm. Right? So a weekly period of ceasing from work. Again, it means I'm comfortable with my rhythms. Uh, when, I, when I take off, I'm trusting God. So God, you're building the church, you're building the team in a way that, uh, in other words, I'm not indispensable. You can't do this without me, God. When I rest, I delight in God's gifts, I enjoy life, uh, people, beauty, hobbies, mountains, food, music, etc., we should be some of the most joyous people out there. Amen? Enjoy life in its fullness, what He has, he has given us. Slow down to, in, to enjoy things. And Sabbath rest is part of that, to enjoy life. And to teach our people and to demonstrate to our people how to enjoy life. When we prioritize Sabbath as a spiritual discipline, we understand it's essential for spiritual, personal, and professional life. Go to the next one. And that one's a biggie. We work from rest, and we, not, we don't work until we have to rest. When we have Sabbath rhythm in our lives, it means that we work from rest. In other words, we make rest our goal, resting in God, spending time with God. That's our goal. That's our, that's our when you sit down, you have your KPA performance and evaluation spiritually for yourself, you know, Rest should be right at the top. I, I want to gear my life around rest so that I can work from rest. So that what I do flows out of the time that I've spent with God. Normally in our Western culture, what we do is we work, 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 take a holiday. Work, 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 till you just barely can't go on. Like, oh, now I have to rest. All right? And that's not a healthy cycle. God wants us to have rest as the rhythm in our lives and from that place we work. When we embrace Sabbath, we embrace this prophetic countercultural act, and we resist the temptation to be defined by what we do, but rather by who we are and whose we are. When I rest, my God, I'm, I'm not defined by what I do. And I know in Johannesburg, the, in Gauteng, the principality and power, one of them is that drivenness. 
okay, where the machine sucks you in and spits you out at the end of the day. All right? And Sabbath rest, now ever you can work that Sabbath rest into your weekly rhythm, you have to wrestle with God as to what that will look like for you. Because when you do that, you are, you are saying, God, I'm, I'm going to be part of something countercultural. I'm, going to say, I'm not going to be defined by my work. I'm not going to be defined by what my boss thinks of me. And for some of us, it might mean changing jobs. For some of us, it might mean changing department. For some of us, it might mean having a tough conversation with a boss who maybe would be very favorably inclined towards you, but you've just never expressed the desire. To say, like, we've, we've signed up for this, and I don't mind doing extra, but now all my evenings are being taken up by, by something. And have the conversation if Sabbath rest is important to you. Right? Because union with God, we cannot rush that. We delight in God as the deliverer and the conqueror of powers and principalities. When we rest in God, we say, Jesus, you are the deliverer. All right? You are powerful. There's this, this uh, beautiful story that I read about how the, the Jewish people, even in the midst of the Nazi concentration camps, they were still observing Sabbath. As much as it was possible, saying, we are not concentration camp inmates, we are Jews. And we will not be defined by what the external world is trying to force upon us. And I thought, that is so powerful. Are we allowing the spirit of Gauteng, materialism, whatever it is, the environment of your work, the pressure of being an entrepreneur, are we allowing that to define who we are? Um, this is this company in New York, the second largest um, photographic company in terms of producing cameras and digital equipment. Um, I think they've got, what's a couple of thousand Jewish people working for them. They close Sabbath day, Friday through, through to Saturday. They closed. Even on Black Friday, they closed. 70% of their um, clientele and their, their transactions happen online. They close even online on the Sabbath. And so somebody wrote them a letter um, and said, Black Friday, why couldn't you guys just keep the online stuff available for us on, uh, on Black Friday? And the CEO replied and said, uh, we respond to a higher authority. That's all he said. We respond to a higher authority. Being in submission to Sabbath is an admission that we respond and we are submitted to a higher authority in the spirits and the principalities around us. Are we allowing what's happening around us to define us? And again, it's easy here, right? So I'm not defined by my work. I'm not defined by the spiritual activity even. It's easy to acknowledge it here, but if you break it down, how are you living your life? It's a prophetic act of warfare, <laughs> Sabbath rest. So it's not just I'm giving over and I'm sleeping. You're going to have resistance. But I believe the fruit, biblically speaking, is absolutely worth it to live from that place. Sometimes we have cultures at work that make it difficult for us. Sometimes we've got cultures in church that make it difficult for us as well. So I want to just quickly mention to you a couple of things. Um, Stefan, if you can go to the next one. Sometimes they are unhealthy and they're mostly unspoken commandments in church. Right, and so we had a journey through this as, as a leadership as well. And I just want to hold this before you. And I want to pray for some of you because some of you guys have been victims of this. And these things were never necessarily spoken, um, but they were modeled. 
Okay? And that is that in church culture, very often, especially if you are driven, especially if you are young, you're growing, and there's always momentum, always momentum, what gets communicated is that it is not successful, it's not a success until it is bigger and better. And we will not necessarily say it in such words, but the things that get celebrated normally are the things that are bigger than what they were the previous year and they're better than what they were the previous year. And then we grow up in a spiritual environment like this and we begin to believe that. And within an environment like that, it is very difficult to slow down. In an environment like that, it is very difficult to rest, very difficult to, to step away from always feeling like, man, the bar has been raised again. <laughs> So we build the team, but now there's more to do. There's always something more to do. There's always, and we, we grow up like this in our, in our schools, there's always something more. You do the one thing, you achieve the one thing, then it's the next thing. And then from there, I mean, it's starting now at preschool times, you know, report cards are being given. And so you always have this report card being given to you in everything. There's always more, there's always more. And we come into church and we have this subconscious thing going on as well. And unfortunately, what happens is that many of the top performers at school become the top performers in church as well. Because you've just been geared that way and wired that way. And God says, but he wants something else to be in our midst. And then if we're not careful, then the pace that we've run at at school and into our church life, it catches up with us. Jesus wants us to both abide in him and to abide. So just hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying he doesn't want fruit. I'm not saying he doesn't want us to grow. He wants us to to abound, to be fruitful. He wants us to be able to to grow, but he wants us to do both. The abounding comes out of the abiding in him. Um, In Luke 10 verse 20, Jesus made it it clear to us. Let me just read that for you guys. In um, in actual fact, let me hear somebody somebody else's voice. Who can I pick on? To read for us. Feinland, yeah. Let me pick on you. Luke 10, verse 20. Can you just read that for us, for us quickly? So I just want to you know, encourage some of you that maybe your team isn't as big as you want your team to be, or maybe you are um, thinking, oh man, I, I feel frustrated, maybe even with my church. So just, just relax. I right? breathe out. Um, God doesn't look at us the way that the world views us and even the way that we view view ourselves. Yes. So the definition Jesus gives the guys, they go out, they're casting out demons, they come back rejoicing, right? Rejoicing, man, we've got authority, things are happening, demons are being cast out. And Jesus says, that's amazing, but don't rejoice in that. Rejoice, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And again, it sounds, it sounds so simple, but we have, we have leaders, we have this retreat center, um, LL in Pretoria, and, and the feedback that we get regularly from them when we send some of our leaders there is that the shofar guys are incredible servants. They are amazing, but they don't know how to rest. <laughs> so they force you not to clean up after you once you've had supper or breakfast or whatever. You will not pick up a plate, wash anything. They just want to serve you. One of our strengths as, as shofar is that we have this excellence with which we, we do things. And the feedback we got from us, the guys who struggle just to be. Just be, just relax, allow other people to serve. You are not defined by 
your ministry, you're not defined by your team's growth, you're not defined by the size of your team, right? You don't have to feel, we are defined by Jesus and belonging, belonging to him. Um, Attached to that is, what you do is more important than who you are. I love what Peter Scazzaro says on page 39. says, what I do matters, who I am matters much more. Who we are and how well we love is the greatest gift we bring to the table. Right? Who we are, who, who I am as Heinrich before the stuff that I do is the greatest blessing that I can be to anyone. Right? Who I am. Who I am, not the stuff that I do, not the stuff that people demand me. Who I am as a person. We cannot give what we do not possess and we cannot help but give what we do possess. And at times, we have, we have created a culture where uh, we push people, and, and some of you guys have been, have been through it as well. Maybe many years ago, I hope that it, it is not the case anymore. Um, and, and I would like you to just bring that to the Lord, right? To, to say to God, God, I want to I wanna bring, if there's any lingering hurt, if there's anything, moments when, when you had the impression that you're only valuable for, for the thing that you're bringing to the table in terms of serving, that's not from God, right? If that ever was the case. Okay, we want to celebrate our people for who we are and not for what we do. And the third one there, sometimes becomes part of our culture, is superficial spirituality is fine. Okay, what he says is just because we have the gifts and the skills to build a crowd or a team and create lots of activity, does not mean we are building a church or ministry that connects people intimately to Jesus. Just because we have the ability to do it, does not mean that we're actually connecting people to the Lord? Um, and so that means that, again, someone can preach and, and impart skills or impart doctrine and principles and not have those things change his own life. And that's why you can have someone build an amazing ministry and change hundreds of thousands of people's lives, and yet there's a lack of inner transformation taking place on the inside. Someone can be anointed on the stage and not have a private time with the Lord in reading the Word or in, in worship as well. Right? And what we're saying is superficiality is not okay. Don't assume that your team members are reading the word. Don't assume it. Don't assume that, that the, the guys in your band, if you worship team leader, that they are worshiping at home. Don't assume. Ask the tough questions. Because we cannot be part of a culture that is superficial in its spirituality. Where we are professional Sunday believers. Okay? And I know all of us, we all have the same heart. We don't want to be there. But don't assume it. Right? Ask the question, what is the Lord saying to you? What are you reading now? Uh, this is what I'm reading. Right? Model it. <laughs> this is what I'm reading. This is what the Lord is sharing with me. This is what's come out of my quiet time. This is what I'm enjoying worshiping too. Um, but don't assume that just because somebody is serving, just because the ministry is happening, that the relationship with the Lord is actually intimate. Right? Ask the questions and create a platform that we can inspire each other. The greatest gift we can give our people is to inspire one another to grow closer to Jesus. Greatest gift we can give each other is to inspire each other to grow closer to Jesus. Right? Don't, don't assume that. I'm having these conversations with our pastors all right? about our pace, about our, uh, our connection with the Lord. Then the last one there is, and I've touched on this, um, don't ask the tough questions as long as the job gets done. For a while, we're a culture where just, just do it. Don't, don't ask. You know, it's momentum. We're running. We're growing. Um, 
And I just want to say we need to encourage our team to ask tough questions. Create a platform if they are uncertain about things to address certain things. When I create the platform for you guys as leaders, ask your pastors the tough questions. You know, ask the apostolic team, send us email if you're unsure about something. Right? We don't want to be part of a culture where we're settling for false peace. We don't want to be part of a culture where we pretend everything is okay, but meanwhile, deep in our hearts, things are actually building up. Right? We don't want to be part of it. We want to be authentic. And so just for, for the sake of this session, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring those things before the Lord, and, 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 and I, I just want to ask the Lord if there's any residue of that culture that, that over the years might have been in part, that the Lord will heal, that the Lord will restore, and the Lord will set us free from any, any drivenness, right, that might be in our midst, which none of us decided to be, but maybe which we have inherited because it was modeled to us. So don't you guys want to stand with me as we just close off this, this session? Father, I want to just thank you, God, that we can come, Lord, to acknowledge, Jesus, that you are... God, so patient with us. We can acknowledge, Lord Jesus, that you are the one that, that knows us inside out. And Lord, I want to come and I want to ask you, Lord, as representative of our, of our leadership, Lord, I want to ask for forgiveness, Lord, for where, where we have modeled that in order for us to feel good about ourselves, in, in order for us to feel valued, that we always need to strive for that thing that's bigger. We always need to strive for the thing that's better, the thing that's faster. We, we needed to have the world changed yesterday. We needed to have the transformation take place already. We needed to be further ahead than where we are, that the discontentedness, Lord, with, with where we are now and taking shortcuts to, to grow, Lord. I ask that, that you will forgive us for that, Lord, for what we have modeled uh, just unconsciously, Lord, the unspoken things that our people have picked up and that they have seen and, and how, Lord, so few of us have been able to manifest just slowing down and operating out of that place of rest, Lord. And I thank you for how you are changing that, Lord, in our hearts and in our leadership, Lord, and so thankful for that. But I want to pray, Lord, that you would heal the hearts of these leaders, Lord, if there's in anyone, Lord, any doubt as to how they are valued, Lord. That, Lord, they are, that who they are as people matters so much more to you than what they do. Because it matters to you, Lord, we want to say that it matters to us. I want to ask, Lord, that you will forgive us for often not taking the time to get to know them, Lord, really as people. And not just as servants, Lord, to uh, get to know their hopes and their dreams and their fears, Lord. I ask that you would forgive us for that, Lord, and for what we have modeled God, I ask that you would forgive us, Lord, for, for modeling a, sometimes a superficial, superficial spirituality, Lord. But we are okay with going through the motions and, and we don't pause long enough to go deep, Lord. And we go from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And I ask, Lord God, that you would forgive us for that and that you would give us a grace, Lord, to, to grow in depth, Father, as well as to grow outward, Lord. Thank you for the passion you've given us a show for, Lord, for to be outward focused, Lord, to always think about how we can reach our communities and how we can reach the nations. But Father, I ask that you will give us the grace, Lord, to also go deep, Lord. Father, then I ask, Lord, for your forgiveness for where we, we might have um, 
discouraged people to just ask questions, Lord, to ask tough questions, Lord. And I thank you that you are restoring that freedom, that trust in our midst, Lord God, to, to, to be honest, Father, about the things that concern us and that worry us. God, in, in Jesus' name, Father. So, so thank you, Lord, for, for these leaders. Thank you, Lord, for emotionally healthy leaders that you are raising up, Lord. Thank you for the growth that they have they've been through, Lord, and they've exhibited over the last little while and the faithfulness that so many of them have exhibited over many, many years. Thank you for their willingness to change, their willingness, Lord, to, to grow closer to you, Father. And I want to pray, Lord, that if there is business that needs to be done, Holy Spirit, that you will come in and just point it out to us, Lord. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.